Well, we begin session number five, and it's the summation of the bad news. And we're going to start in Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So that's Paul's summation about the bad news (laughs) of the gospel and the fact that every man on earth, every woman on earth, needs the saving grace of Jesus Christ for salvation. Uh, All mankind is in bondage to sin. And why does the world continue in sin with all kinds of problems associated with immorality? Because the world has no reverent fear of God. You know, Paul laid out his case. Everyone is in need of the gospel. And the thing is, we've already established that we as Christians, we continually need the gospel. Why is that? Because we have this tendency to slide back towards depravity. We have this tendency to rely on our carnal nature when we do not stay fully engaged in the Word of God and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It's easy to grieve the Holy Spirit uh, when we neglect the important principles of Christian living, mainly reading the Word of God, meditation on the Word of God, study of the Word of God, and daily prayer and communion with God our Father. And that's why the Bible specifically states, too, that we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we need that mutual edification and encouragement to grow in our relationship with Christ. We also need that ability to challenge each other to grow in our relationship with Christ. As iron sharpens iron, I think it's good sometimes uh, for Christians to have arguments about theology. (laughs) As long as we can still get along and love each other afterwards. But we can have disagreements over the things of the Word of God. Not on the central issues we can't but on some of the peripheral things that cause us to dig deeper. You know, when somebody challenges me, I want to go back to the Word of God, first of all, to see, most of the time, to see if I'm right, which is the wrong response. Uh, I heard that expression one time that uh, uh, most people read the Word of God like a drunkard uses a light post for support, not for illumination, meaning we go back to justify our own arguments instead of just allowing the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and our hearts and our lives with the gospel message of Jesus Christ so that we can have let Jesus flow through us and the Holy Spirit flow through us with purity of heart. And so we should welcome criticism. That doesn't mean we're critical with other people. It just means that we should welcome uh, a criticism to spur us on. You know, if you if nobody ever said anything constructive uh, about your behavior in life or the things you do at work, you wouldn't know how to get better. But when somebody points something out 
to you, then oftentimes the light comes on and you say, hey, here's an area of improvement. And so we need to couch those things with encouragement, I believe, and say, hey, you know, I appreciate your diligence in this, in this respect, um, but have you considered this? <laughs> there is a proper and kind way of doing it. Um, not everybody operates that way, and certainly I don't either, but I do try to be sensitive uh, to the Lord. And when I make mistakes, you know, that's when you have to repent. <laughs> and that's when you, you, not only do you have to repent, but you have to be willing to forgive too. You know, you can't hold offense against your brother. Unforgiveness, you know, drives bitterness and bitterness is what separates the fellowship of believers. And so we certainly have to guard against that. But one of the points that Paul brings out here in the first three chapters of Roman is that a weak view of sin and how it impacts people results in a very weak view of the gospel message. Because as we mentioned before, the world doesn't need Jesus and it doesn't need the gospel message if it doesn't realize there's a problem that they have. <laughs> Most people don't feel there is a problem. They feel like they're doing just fine. Life is good. They're healthy. They got 2.5 kids. You know, they got a car to drive. They're being able to pay all their bills every month. You know, they're tithing to the church. They're donating here. They're um, volunteering over there. I mean, I, I see a lot of atheists that, uh, in fact, are more moral than a lot of Christians, which is sad to say, because we as Christians should be the salt of the earth. We should be the uh, one who's willing to give versus getting. And I see a lot of uh, moral atheists who uh, give up Saturdays to help people and uh, try to do good works, try to save the environment. They're out there striving in many ways, trying to form their own religion to justify their own guilt. I mean, all of us have a way of, of doing that. Man without a focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ has a tendency to do a couple of things. One, just plunge into hedonism. You know, if it feels good, do it. Live my life for experiences and pleasure and self-gratification. The other aspect of that is legalism. You know, we justify our own immoral behavior with some sort of, um, couch it in some sort of religious significance or marginalize the areas of our weakness and glorify our strengths. And uh, so we promote that. I mean, that's what the Pharisees did in, in the times of Jesus. Um, they put the outward appearance on uh, the full court press on the outward uh, appearance of things and uh, trying to show and demonstrate to other people how holy they were. And Jesus called them a brood of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. He said, you look good on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. And then also people want to think they're mostly good in their own eyes. We have this tendency just to justify our own behavior, no, no matter what it is. There's a lot of people that don't go to church, don't read the Bible, and don't pray, but they still think they're good people. Well, Paul points out here in the first three chapters of Romans that no one is good. No one tries to do good on their own. There's no one who seeks God, he said. They've all turned away and they've all become worthless. No one does good. Uh, the poison of vipers is on their lips. It's a sad state of affairs for the human race, <laughs> is what Paul is saying. He's saying we're so depraved that we cannot live a victorious life without the grace of Jesus Christ coming in and uh, covering our sins and our depravity and the transformational power of the gospel. We, we cannot uh, live a victorious Christian life without understanding the gospel message. And the truth is, we're all like uh, George Thorogood. We're all bad to the bone. 
you know, man has come up with all kinds of ways to suppress guilt. You know, we have various methods of escape. We use drugs or alcohol. Uh, we just stay very busy in life with a lot of activities. Uh, we try to accomplish a lot of things that makes us feel good. You know, we like that feedback and, and that personal satisfaction of getting something done. And so sometimes we litter our schedule with so much activity that we don't even have time to think or we say so distracted by uh, television or TV shows or Netflix or whatever it is, music, uh, the TV on all the time, that we never have a moment, a private alone time with our own thoughts. And all of us need that. We all need to get alone with God to reflect and evaluate our current position before the Lord so that he can, the Holy Spirit can convict us about our thought process and realign ourselves to the word of God. That's why meditation on scripture is so important uh, because we have so many messages coming to us daily um, from the world that are anti-God, that are really the spirit of the Antichrist. And if we're not aware of what's taking place and what messages we're receiving, eventually they get into our subconscious and eventually work their way into our soul, into our thinking, and eventually into our conversation. You know, the world, the secular world, who denies God or that Jesus is Lord, they have their own philosophy and their own narrative that they're pushing forward. And if, if we neglect the Word of God, we accept their message by default, and we think it's good. I mean, it's really interesting to me to watch how morality, the definition of morality in the secular media, is completely different than what the Word of God says. But yet people confuse and conflict those things uh, because they're not in the Word of God like they should be, and they're not under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They're not sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and so they become calloused in their spiritual development, and so they readily accept uh, the philosophy of this world. The truth is what Paul points out, that all men is immoral and sinful, and left to their own devices, they would plunge into a state of depravity. And the Bible clearly says that all have sinned and uh, have come short of the glory of God. Let's read uh, Romans 3, 21 31, through 31. We'll just read to the end of the chapter, and I think that's as far as we'll get in this session. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of what law? The law requires works, no, because the law requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God God of the Jews only? Is he not God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. One of the mistakes that Christians make often in modern American times is that we neglect the Old Testament. 
hear people say all the time, well, I'm not under the Old Testament. I'm under the new covenant, the new covenant of grace. Well, there is some truth to that, but there's also some error in that because the gospel message is strictly tied uh, to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is tied to the law. And if you don't believe me, let's flip over to John, or actually I want to go to Hebrews. Let's go to Matthew first, and then I'm going to pick up those other two scriptures. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Flip over to John chapter 1. And this also points out where Jesus is tied to the law, to the Old Testament. The law written by Moses. It says in John chapter 1 verse 14, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of the fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So the law is really a picture with a lot of signs pointing to the Messiah, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, the cross demonstrates the justice of God to deal properly with sin in the world and to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. And so if we lack that understanding, then we don't really have a full comprehension of what the gospel message is. Because the law really points out to us how depraved we are, because all of us are incapable of upholding the law on our own strength and our own self-righteousness. The only way we can fulfill the law is through the power and the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's look at uh, Hebrews 9. You know, a lot of people ask the question, why did Jesus send his own son and uh, massacre him like he did, had him crucified, bled, um, mocked, ridiculed? Why did he go through that entire process? Because... Hebrews 9.22 says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all 
at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Jesus performed many miracles on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders began to persecute him, and Jesus was always defending himself for his work. And he said, you know, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I am too working. But Jesus said in John 5, 31, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it to you that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, whom your hopes are set. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Jesus accused the religious leaders of his day of not understanding the law and not understanding the intents of the writing of Moses. And because they didn't understand the law, they couldn't understand who Jesus was. And Jesus said, you're in error. Because you have made the law something it was not intended to be. You know, that kind of scares me in the sense that we can have all the tools and resources at our disposal, yet still not come to the knowledge of the truth. We can study scripture and still not know what God is intending to say. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is why we need the gospel message. And we need to pursue it and understand it fully. That's why we need to understand that righteousness does not come from our efforts or our ability or our intellect. The gospel message is not strong-arming people to do what they don't want to do. I mean, people are free to reject Christ or accept him. So why do we promote the gospel message? Because people need a relationship with Christ before they can learn to walk in obedience and before they can perform good works of righteousness. The gospel is for Christians as much as it is sinners. The good news of Jesus Christ is too important not to discuss it or let it die on the streets for the sake of peace. The only way to fulfill the calling of God in your life is when you start loving him beyond where you're at now. You will not obey Christ until you love him. You can't keep his commands until you love him. If you love me, he said, you'll keep my commands. But we have to love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. God is good and holy based on his character alone. He defines what is good and what is evil. 
His will is not separated from his own character. You know, I believe that the church should be a place where we go to assemble, where believers go to worship and honor God first. You know, the Holy Spirit is capable of convicting hearts through the preaching and teaching of God's word alone. Sometimes I feel like we're too concerned with meeting the needs of the sinner or pagans, and we should be more engaged in evangelism. I agree with that. But the church and our time of fellowship together should be a place where we go uh, with a sense of unity to honor and worship God. You know, we can't make our worship so much about the theatrics uh, that we forget theology and that we forget about preaching the word and making sure we're not offending God. Too many times we're concerned about not offending the world when we should be more concerned about not offending God. And when it comes to studying the law, we're all guilty of turning sacred things into religious activities to make our flesh and our carnal nature feel comfortable in this world. We are in the world, but we're not of it. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus. We belong to him. He is our Lord and Savior. We must operate under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus rebuked Peter for not having in mind the things of God. Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And in Mark 8, 33, when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. He said, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. Faith, devotion, and obedience to God's word is more important than personal intentions, feelings, and experiences. You know, today we're facing some of the greatest challenges to the gospel message like never before. Uh, we see the breakdown of religious institutions and families in America. Uh, the church is in, in a pre-Reformation crisis. We have uh, biblical ignorance is at an all-time high. Uh, spiritual maturity is at an all-time low. Salvation experiences are quick and easy. And they're somewhat shallow and reduced to formulas. American Christians are too busy living the good life, the life of ease, entertainment, and excess, that there's little time for biblical meditation or personal reflection and prayer. We can't have disagreements anymore and still love each other. I mean, disagreements are now viewed as hatred. There's no platform for civil discourse. We engage in Christian consumerism. We just shop around and find the best personal preference for our place of worship. You know, the body of Christ has kind of an identity crisis. We no longer agree and unify around fixed moral principles. The church has adopted uh, secular methods and formulas for church growth. We no longer see the ethics of Christian love, forgiveness, and reconciliation expressed in political circles. We no longer really set goals for spiritual maturity. In fact, if we did, we wouldn't even know where to go to grow biblically or spiritually. And I'm tired of depressing you and myself with all these spontaneous streams of thoughts about negativity. <laughs> so let's go back to the Word of God and look at Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, 
You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens in this way. You will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit, it will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, the Christian experience is full of self-denial. It's full of frustration. It's full of struggle. It's full of striving to reach the goal that Christ has set out for us, which that goal is perfection, the character of Christ. But we can't give up. We have to press on. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And then he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. In our next session, we'll pick up uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 1. We'll talk about Father Abraham and how we're all justified by faith. <laughs>